Last time on How We Roll Podcast. Not getting a response by telephone from the house of Bartholomew Ormond, I decide to check out his residence. No lights on at home, apart from a small flickering candle at the top of the house. With no answer from the door, I decide to investigate further. With the strange sights and smells from around the house, something was definitely out of place. Upon finally reaching the upper floors of the house, I had no idea what was in store for me. Um, heavy booted footsteps start, slam up the uh, three flights of stairs, and uh, before you know it, you are faced with four suited agents, all holding automatic weapons, uh, Bartholomew Ormond. Leading them is the stuffy suit you remember from two weeks ago arresting you. You consider resisting, but uh, you consider better of it. And the four of you are hustled down the stairs, handcuffed, and led into the back of a large black, um, presumably FBI van. Um, you're sat now um, on benches, metal benches, and the um, can you all give me spot checks as you are hustled through the midnight Boston streets? Am I still wearing my cult-like silks and have? Oh, that could be a problem for you and me. Stuff- oh my god. And, and this is exactly symbols what you're written in blood on my skin. Yay! Indeed, you are. I'm assuming I've got my lighter because I said I'd walk over to the, <laughs> the side with the lighter. I'm going to keep the lighter. Um, spot checks. Here's where my favorite part of the game happened. I roll a 58 out of 85. I roll a 72 out of 45. I rolled a three against 46. It's a great day for Parrish. <laughs> Okay, extreme success. Do you want to add D10 to your spot roll? I do indeed. Um, on, on top of that, um, it, it would take uh, at least a hard success to see this, but sketched onto all six edges or all, all six faces of the inside of this um, van is a strange eldritch sign. Um, it basically looks like, a, I guess, a star, a five-pointed star. In the centre is an eye. Um, none of you have seen this bef- this sign before, though it has been in the podcast. For those of you that have it, can you give me a Cthulhu Mythos roll? Okay, just okay. Uh, for the for the fans on that uh, D10 roll to improve my skill, I got a one in true fashion. <laughs> for the second time running, I have rolled a 15 out of 18. Uh, I rolled okay. a 46 out of 23, and 55 of 14. <laughs> Okay, um, to Spencer only, um, this is an eldritch sign. Basically, this is uh, one of the few elements of the Cthulhu Mythos which is beneficial to those using it. Um, It seals entry, so um, anything this is carved upon, um, this stops anything beyond reality from crossing. Um, Again, if you wore it on your neck as a necklace, nothing would happen. But if you carved it on a door or window, nothing can break through that. Okay. So, can I, um, can I kind of explain that to, uh... You, you certainly can. I mean, it's subtly carved. And it's also worth noting that the way that the Cthulhu Mythos worked is you don't just retain information of things you've seen. So let's say if you bumped into a ghoul, you have a chance of gaining Cthulhu Mythos. That doesn't just give you Cthulhu Mythos information about ghouls, but it gives you information about the entire mythos it's a way of your 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 being entering the the real reality as well the extra reality so you gain 
information about the entire mythos. So just by seeing this sign, you've got some information about its existence and how it works. So it's like a perception kind of a tuition, like. Yeah, exactly right. Like you, you now have a slightly by having a higher Cthulhu mythos, you have in sort of a knowledge of how the universe really works, not how it's intended to work, just for the human perception. Your mind is open to the beyond, young grasshopper. <laughs> Thank you, Master Chin. So sitting in the van with us is two people, you say? Or just three of us? Um, you're in the back of the van. You are on your it's own. The, uh, the FBI agents, there's two in the front in front of you, one driving, one next to him. And there's, from what you can see through the window behind you, there's one following. You are handcuffed, um, but you aren't changed the seat or anywhere. You have free movement in the van, although you imagine this is a cold, freezing cold Boston night. Um, and vans and cars back then weren't the best in terms of suspension so it's not easy to move around without I kick Bartholomew and go god damn it man what have you done this time that we're getting arrested well I, I can't say I know I was interrogated by that officious oaf a few weeks ago I I don't know but damn it how are we going to explain all of this we're covered in siddles you and I are wearing silk bathrobes Spencer's shirt's covered in blood. Good God! Yeah, outside, thank you. Uh, outside of the game, it's not anywhere near October, is it? Um, you're in uh, February. <laughs> Halloween's uh, out of the question, so fair enough. We'll just we'll just see what happens. Just don't, just if we get if we get split up, just don't say anything. Nothing about the pigs, especially if this is me directing it specifically at Bartholomew Moore and Spencer. Nothing about the pigs or anything, and 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 you and I look at Spencer. Nothing about the gunshots. Um, after um, a reasonable amount of time, obviously with it with the snow, uh, they've gone quite much 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 slower. Um, you you drive through the streets and eventually stop outside the uh, large uh, official civil service building, which houses the current Bureau of Investigation. Um, as the door opens, the wind howls through the deserted, shadow black streets, and your feet crunch. Your feet crunch through the thick snow and slush, which soon soaks through your shoes, chilling your feet to the bone. As you approach the dimly lit federal building, the door is thrown open, and a hulking soldier in a white and black camouflage uniform pushes his way into the night. One of your captors, um, the man who interviewed you a few weeks ago, Bartholomew approaches, and about, let's say, 30 foot away, they start speaking in hushed tones. The other three um, hold their guns up, pointing directly at you, while they wait for the conversation to finish. So there's no way we can hear this conversation, is there? Give me a listen, Ron. Oh, well, there we go. 90... 99 on, on bloody listen, so that's... You, you lean out of the back of the paddy wagon and fall onto the street. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And I think hard success. 12 out of... Uh, 7 against 25. 49 against 50. Okay, you you listen. I mean, the wind is, is blowing away a lot of the words, but you hear kind of half the conversation. The uh, the tall cap, the tall kind of burly captain in the uh, the camouflage outfit seems to be saying, "Who the hell are they?" The uh, FBI agent who kind of picked you up is, uh, "Well, you know, Mac, he said to bring them in if anything out of the ordinary happened." And well, we heard gunshots. That's pretty out of the ordinary. Mackie, 
Mac is acting pretty strange since the incident. Yeah, I know, but we still need to follow his orders. Deputy Director Hoover has said that he's in charge. We need to follow him exactly. Of all the nights, you need to bring them in. Tonight is not the night. I think we need to go ahead anyway. Just move them out of the way while we move them. Um, the uh, the next few words are kind of blown away in the wind. Um, the uh, officious stuffy agent who you've met before kind of approaches you. Um, and the captain motions to the doorway and at least 30 similarly uniformed soldiers all in the kind of black and white camouflage march out of the um, FBI building and run off to the left and round the side of the building. Is any of you, uh, your characters, they have war experience? The War of Independence in Ireland. Um, certainly Bartholomew with uh, World War One, but possibly the War of Independence. I mean, you, you can choose yourself. They're all armed with very modern rifles. Um, two or three are carrying um, very, very large incendiary devices. I mean, these aren't things... They're not like grenades. These are things to take out buildings. And the last two soldiers are carrying incredibly large items. Um... I think because you were both part of quite serious wars, I won't ask you to roll for this. These are flamethrowers. They're definitely flame flamethrowers. Um, they disappear into the night soon after. Um, you are picked up by the uh, the four who... Not literally picked up, they basically pick up the pace and ask you to uh, move into the building. Um, this isn't the first time Bartholomew's been here, but I'm assuming for Mick and um, uh, Mick and Spencer, this is the first time you've been here. Um, you're led through the doors, and as the door slams behind you, the sound of the uh, winter wind is immediately cut off. Your feet echo over the checkered marble floor and across the huge Amer American seal that is placed upon there. There is no one in this large atrium. The uh, desk ahead is completely empty. And the four officious agents uh, lead you up to uh, a very familiar room, Bartholomew. Again, uh, I'm not an expert on the 1920s, but we're going to say that uh, mirrored glass does exist. Um, you are taken through an incredibly boring procedure where they take your details. And they also ask you to dip your fingers in ink and place them on paper, leaving a peculiar fingerprinted pattern. Um, those of you, Aaron particularly, so Spencer particularly, you're very, very au fait with the law. Um, they are forming their new fingerprint record, which is was very, very um, was a big part of the mid 1920s. Um, after about half an hour, you are left alone um, in this room. Part of the wall is mirrored, and there's a large um, sort of bolted to the floor table and a couple of chairs. The door is locked. Are we all in the same room together? You're all in the same room together. Bartholomew and Mick are all dressed in some quite peculiar esoteric robes and you are covered in blood. I guess that we don't have our weapons at this point. <laughs> let's let's assume that they've pretty much uh, removed everything of... Uh, any, any weapons before you left the house. Can I um like just nervously try and like rub my forehead and cheeks against my shoulder to get rid of any signs of? I know it's a futile effort, but fuck it. If I'm going to be seriously interviewed, I don't want to have this shit in my face. We good with that? Sorry, the runes on your face and things like that. Yes, all the blood stains essentially on my face. Okay, you you can dare to get definitely get in, okay. in a panic kind of frantic thing. I I, I realize it's going to be. I I've been thinking about the FBI as a character. I'm like shit. They've definitely seen this, but let's not appear super crazy. Let's. 
rub this blood sigil off my face, so I'm going to have like a slightly tinged pink beetrooty <laughs> kind of face that's stained with blood, and try to be like real um, sensible when talking to the FBI. That's that's my until they come in. That's my move anyway. Mick, stop! Stop acting so afraid of these federal goons. We've done nothing strictly illegal. As you say that, Bartholomew, you get the distinct, familiar impression that you are being watched. And you remember very well the episode a couple of weeks ago where you're not sure if it happened or you imagined it, but where an incredibly um, inept FBI agent seemed to be possessed by an incredibly scary and demonic being. But you're almost definite, all three of you, that you are being watched right now. I assuming this makes me this make me fairly nervous or subjugate. Okay. Definitely quite uneasy at being here again and trying not to show it, so I'm gonna stand up after like frankly rubbing it off uh, all these marks off my face and arms. Um I'm assuming handcuff behind the back, are we at this point? Um, no, when you were fingerprinted, the handcuffs were released, so no, you're you're completely free and easy to move around the room. In that case, I'm going to walk over to the glass and just, with two hands in use and slamming the glass, going, why are we here? What do you want? We've done nothing wrong. Give me a spot check as you approach the glass. And for those of you at home, uh, Bartholomew, Dave has been very kind and said the first US patent for a one-way mirrored appeared in uh, 1903. So, yes, in 1920, they definitely would have had Mary Glass. And for those of you at home, Joe's been really nice and thinking, Goddamn Dave and his goddamn historical accuracy. <laughs> <laughs> my my role was a 31 versus 47 for spotting. Okay, um, as you approach the glass, it is slightly transparent. So, although technically from a distance you appear to be facing a mirror, as you approach and you look carefully, you can see kind of the vague silhouettes of the room behind the mirror. Um, you can see recording equipment, you can see various outlines and silhouettes of you know various innocuous things, but there is definitely, or almost definitely, someone sat in a chair, completely still, watching you. And so completely still, it's almost as if it's not a real person and maybe you've just misjudged it and it's uh, just, you know, some sort of machine or something. Can I know, do a very... mythos? Yeah, definitely. As I'm doing this, I'm going to say, "Why don't you talk? Why don't you talk to us? We, we've nothing to hide. No one will believe our stories. Why? Why are we here? Who are you people?" And versus fourteen, I get a nine. This is the best day ever. <laughs> I'm succeeding in shit. Um, let's say when in your readings and in your kind of understanding of the way that reality often gets broken and the way that the human beings only perceive a tiny sliver of reality, there are various entities that might might spy upon the human there's the watcher in the darkness there's the thing beyond the gates and there's the shadows that prey upon the the living um nothing that you've come across or even that you've your mind is stretched upon fits this exact description it's not the watcher in the darkness things i've met that fucker once (laughs) again it could be, but that doesn't fit the description of someone sat in a room watching you. Uh, you know, it, it it raises you know raises the hairs in the back of your ne- neck, but it doesn't quite fit any issue. In frustration, I'm going to punch the mirror as hard as I can and walk off, assuming it doesn't break and stuff. Um, as you're punching it, you notice again. It's difficult to say, but you're pretty sure the figure's not there anymore. Okay, I don't need a sanity check, do I? 
No, you don't. So. Thank God. Did you carry through with the punch? No, yeah, I'm punching it in a kind of not not like a I'm not trying to like do damage. Like I'm not doing a full force punch. It's like a frustrated kind of, you know, I'm a teenager with full of angst. Punch some wall, you know. I'm not gonna do any damage to myself. I'm not stupid. I might be covered in pig's blood and in, in silks, but not stupid. Okay, the um the door opens. Standing in the entrance to the door is a dark figure. He steps into the light, and you kind of almost breathe a sigh of relief. This is Lucas Mackey. This is the guy that rescued you from Innsmouth. He drove you free. But there's something off about him. Maybe his posture, maybe the kind of look in his eye. It, again, it's very, very difficult to place your finger on, but this is not the easy-go-lucky undercover agent that you know saved your asses a few episodes ago. He seems stiff. He seems more self-assured. Hey, I've, uh, I've heard you guys have been arrested, and I think maybe I can pull a few strings and uh, maybe let you go. Uh, if you want to follow me, we'll have a few uh, few words. Um, he um, basically walks right down the corridor, and his motions and expressions take take it that you're just going to follow him. He has that kind of confidence about him. I quickly pat around behind him. I'll just swan ahead in my usual fashion completely ignoring the fact that I'm wearing wizard robes covered in blood sigils. I follow them down. Again, time seems to almost dilate for a few moments. Um, you find yourself in a lift. I, don't, I mean, we've all had kind of drunken nights where you almost get, like, memories of incidents, but you can't quite chain them together, or if you can chain them together, there's almost blackout spots. So um, you you remember walking down the corridor, but you don't remember the whole corridor. Um, you remember getting into the lift, but you can't remember my many details about the lift. And you don't remember where you were standing or how many floors you descended. Um, what you do remember is getting out in some sort of sub-basement. Um, you remember there being a Greek, a Greek sigil rather than a number on the button. And those of you that have an education above 50 would recognize the Greek sigil as Delta. Uh. So that would be... Uh, um, and yep, so nearly all of you, I'd say. Um, you walk down a, a sort of a dusky green corridor to a slightly smaller room. You pass a lot of rooms on the way, but you're led to a slightly smaller doorway and you're led in. Um, this is an occultist's dream. Um, this room is filled with everything you can possibly imagine. And I'm going to give you a moment. Um, your gesture to sit down on a seat. Can you come up with the most esoteric, occult version of a seat you can possibly imagine? Lucas Mackey sits himself down on what can only be described as a large elephant's foot. <laughs> we all describe our own seat, do we? Yeah. While you're thinking of your seat, I'll just quickly describe the room. I've got mine straight up. <laughs> the room itself is um, lined with all sorts of occult books. Um, many of them are incredibly rare. I mean, some of your research has told you that um, there are books and there are books. And you own a few. I mean, things like the Panoptic Manuscripts are pretty rare. You see um, a rough translation of what seems to be the Necronomicon on the wall. Um, there is a table which is covered in strange devices, strange implements... There is a gun there that seems to be very similar similar to the gun that was found in ancient Earth. The uh, the god gun, as it's been referred to in this episode. However, 
The room itself is dominated by two incredibly strange and intriguing items. The first one is an immense mirror. Um, the mirror itself isn't too special, but it's the the mechanism or the way it's what it's surrounded in is very very strange. So imagine an oval mirror, um, at least the size of a man, and rather than having a frame, the frame itself is made with moving and ticking cogwork. Um, the entire thing is surrounded by clockwork. And as every tick happens, the mirror itself seems to go in and out of focus in a very odd way. More than that, to your right is an immense black angled cuboid cupboard. It is an oily shade of black and dusky red. As you stare at it, it is incredibly hard to focus on as the strange and deeply worrying angled designs catch the light in an almost alien and unnatural way. On the front of this odd, I mean again, it's a cupboard, but it's an incredibly odd cupboard, um, the handle itself is sealed with seven locks of differing size. And as you enter the room, you are almost sure you hear a very loud knocking from within and a faint scream. As soon as this happens, Lucas Mackey walks over and bangs on the cupboard loudly and the, the scream is cut out. He sits himself in a large elephant-footed chair. Where do you guys take so, your seats? There's no, there's no visible language or symbols that I could possibly read on that. Um, Unity's kicked. No, not at all. It's all strange whirling designs. Okay. Um, well, seeing as I'm very excited to describe my chair, but seeing as uh, <laughs> we've currently come down the elevator and we're now on floor Delta, uh, green corridor, right? That's right. Um, I'm going to stroll across to the most extravagant chair there which is the base of it's this round kind of bulbous just mass of marble with two what look like jeweled eyes Um, and the back of the chair is a spindly what turn out to be tentacles so it's essentially an upside down octopus I'm going to lean back into with just this six foot tall back to the chair as as you sit down the Lucas Mackey looks and goes um, you're not bleeding, are you, or from any way? No, sorry, what? I don't understand the accent. <laughs> you're 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 not bleeding from any way, are you? You've not got any uh, oh, open no, cuts oh, oh, or oh, wounds. Oh, oh, oh no, no, these this is this is not my blood. No, no, no. You're you're probably okay then. You don't wanna you don't wanna share on that chair if you're bleeding in any way. <laughs> I I nervously like lift my sleeves and I'm gonna pants legs and just make doubly make sure, but but still stay sitting down because I don't wanna seem like a bitch. So that's my chair. That's me sitting down. I, and I'm gonna like just look at this weird, suspiciously eye this unit that Mackie just went over and kicked for no goddamn reason. Um, Mackie gestures to the uh, to Spencer and uh, Bartholomew to spit, sit down on a, a chair of their choice. As as soon as I enter the enter the room, just full of occult books and things, my, all of my sort of fay aristocratic mannerisms just slip away, and you can see me almost sort of. Bouncing up and down with glee and excitement, <laughs> and I, I just sort of almost zone everything out as I'm just sort of going to the bookshelves and just without touching, just sort of reading the titles and oh, they've got one of the I didn't know this existed. Oh my goodness, I just oh, and I go to the table and I just look at it and I'm just sort of frantic with 
Oh, this could be this 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 device. It seems to be. Oh, but this. Oh. Just just completely ignoring everyone in the room. Just zoned out, enjoying <laughs> everything about the room. As I enter the room, I can look around and see all these like, weird contractions, and I sort of visually like grimace and don't like it. Just walk over to one of the chairs. The chair I choose is a long, uh, high-backed chair made what seems to be out of perhaps animal bone. Um, I'm not a not a vet nor a doctor, so to be fair, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, the arms are seem to be. I don't know. They've they've got this weird arm, sort of like physical bone arm structure to them with perhaps fingers or something on the ends, I'm not entirely sure. But looking around at all the other weird and wonderful chairs that are in the room, this is probably the least disgusting. And I take my place. <laughs> you chose correctly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't say that. <laughs> so, I'm I'm very sorry about your arrest. We've, we've been watching... Um, I say we, but... Um, Deputy, Deputy Director Hoover has been watching the various residences of people, of anyone who've been involved in Inchmouth. Um, don't take it personally. I, I, as soon as I could um, get involved, I could. I heard you were arrested a few weeks ago, Bartholomew. May I call you Bartholomew? What? What? Uh, uh, are you speaking to me? But yes, uh, I'm really sorry about your arrest a few weeks ago. As soon as I heard it was happening, I made sure you were released. I'm uh, Again, I'm very, very sorry. Um, obviously, that strange and worrying town is um, is um, really, you know, takes a toll on anyone. I lived there for a, for a few few months, and you 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 know you know as much as I do how terrible it is there. So I, I got you released. I hope that's okay. Um, his voice, although similar, is not the same voice as the one that rescued you from Innsmouth. You are sure of this, all three of you. Um, take a sheet anyway. Uh, now, where do you want to ship? Um, I, I I just start to approach this this um, sort of regular over, overstuffed armchair. Uh, with nothing. Oh, sorry. Don't don't sit on that chair. <laughs> Damn it! I had a description. As I approach the weird tattoos on the very thin leather, put me off. <laughs> uh, uh, we, if you if you want to if you've got a good description, just sit on that chair. It's not worth my joke. <laughs> Carry it. Put it back in. It's it's an it's a just what looks like a normal overstuffed armchair, but it has it's covered in a very particular, very thin, almost delicate looking leather with a very distinctive, almost familiar cellular structure that seems to be like the leather was tattooed. Before it was skinned off and cured into this chair. And the very back, just towards the lower back, it looks like a navel. But anyway, I just sit down <laughs> in it. Um, as you sit down in it, you almost hear a sigh. Um, and please let the leg break through the termites and fall over and go, I, to- I told you to sit on it. Please. As you sit down on your strange tattooed chair, um, you hear from your left 
a howling sound, a screaming sound, and a knocking sound from the huge, ornate, and alien-looking cupboard. And there's something very familiar about that scream. It's immediately cut off as Mackie bangs his hand again, again against the door and sits down on his elephant foot chair. What? What the fuck was that? Don't, don't, don't worry about that. It's, it's something I inherited from the last guy that uh, worked in this department. He, um, as you can see, it was something of a collector, and he's got some strange items. I've actually never managed to get that cupboard open. As you can see, uh, he points towards the locks. It's probably impossible. Um, does any of you have above fifty in your lock pocket? Lock picking. <laughs> above what? Above fifty. Above fifty. I'm pretty sure that. Uh, yes, that I have has... sixty. Yeah. Yes! They're not that difficult to open. Like they, they, yeah, they're tricky, but they're not particularly ornate. I mean, you, you, to be honest, you could probably just get them off with a pair of bolt cutters, let alone pick them open. Um, so anyway, I've brought you here for just a few questions. Um, before you know, obviously, I let you go. Um, I was just wondering, uh, you have a companion, uh, name of Harold Mudd, or sometimes goes by Hector Marish. Uh, do you know where he is? This is ringing bells with you, Bartholomew. This question has been asked. I, you know, I just I've been trying to find him, and he's, he's not at his home, and for some reason, I can't locate him anywhere. Didn't uh... We discussed these questions last time I was here. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, give me a psychology roll. Any one of us? Or? Me! Out of 53, I roll 8! 2! Oh, oh, nice. He is... He has a poker face and a half. It would take an extreme success to realise this. And yes, you've got it. He he knows exactly what you're talking about. He looks down um, and to the right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was also wondering, um, there was a strange uh, object that he's been kind of looking for for a while called a dreamstone. I don't know if you know where it's been hidden, do you? No, I'm, I'm afraid I don't know anything about this. Hector, Hector, Hector has been in the sanitarium. He's... Bartholomew has signed him out recently. I mean, you can't be listening to anything that man says. His delusions of grandeur and fame. I stared daggers at you the instant you mentioned me signing him out. <laughs> I, I, I look I look at Bartholomew. I advised against it. He wasn't a sane man, but... You're a good friend, Bartholomew. You're a good friend. Okay, he, he stands up and the shadows seem to gather behind him and he makes an incredibly, uh, for a man of short stature, an incredibly intimidating figure and there's something about him which makes you feel almost that he's an inhuman figure. Um, I really need to insist, I need to know where this guy is. Where is he? Where is Hector Mayers right now? While, while this, so he says all this, can you describe how we're sitting and where this actual cupboard is in relation to us? Um, it's a small room. Um, so the cupboard is in the middle of the long wall. Um, it's up to you where your chair is positioned. I'll be sitting closest to it. Of course, yeah. And this Mackie character is focused on Bartholomew. Um, he is. He's, he's kind of. He's standing as if like center stage. He's facing all three of you. Okay. If I if I see an opportunity, it sounds like he's talking to me now. But if he's focused intently on Bartholomew, because Bartholomew is the last person to have seen, or as far as the FBI seem to think, last person to have seen Hector Mayers. 
if I get a chance, can I say, can I whisper towards this cupboard, how can I help you? Yeah, at some point. It mightn't be right now. Right, I'm going to do a listener. I mean, is that what you're doing now, or do you want to wait, wait for a moment? I want to wait to see if I get an opportune moment, but if I can see his focus shift off me, so if he turns to Spencer, the way I imagine it is I'm closest to the cupboard, Bartholomew in the middle, because he's the main man in this interrogation, and Spencer's the opposite side. So if he turns to Spencer, or he's intently focused on Bartholomew, I will make that move and hopefully not die. Realistically, it's going to be, you're going to need some sort of distraction. Look over there. I, 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 I say again, I, I really need to know where Hector Mayors is and I'm really had enough, had enough of playing around. We we haven't seen him since since the storm. He we got we got caught in the storm out out out, out in the outskirts of Arkham. It's it was a long night. He just went home and we haven't seen him. He kind of looks at you and goes, "And you too? Where where have you last seen him? Where is he?" This might be your moment to uh, to do something with the the cupboard. Well, um, I've so I imagine Aaron, you're maybe or Spencer, you're probably on the other side of the room. So if you start speaking, then he's going to turn towards you. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, I, I imagine Spencer kind of bumbling, nervous. We're all kind of nervous, and I just go, "Can I, can I help you?" And like in the general direction of the cupboard try and be as subtle as possible I don't know how easy that's going to be it mightn't be easy at all but that's what I'm up for um, there, there doesn't seem to be any sign from inside the cupboard so you, you whisper but there doesn't seem to be a sound um, can, can I say that um, well I did hear from his uh, his wife uh, actually fairly recently um, if not today um and I, I'm like stalling for time, like trying to remember what was said and making a, a, a long story, like uh, pulling out the notes from my top jacket pocket that I'd saved from the desks. And well, you see, th- these are the notes that that um, I was received from her. And uh, I mean, you can take a look at that if you want. And it comes over to. Can I gently tap SOS onto the size of the wardrobe, acting like I'm just kind of innocently tapping my fingers on it, not realizing how important it is, and do SOS? Oh, I like that idea. So you 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 tap upon the door SOS. Yes. The reply is it's long, and it takes you a moment to sort it out, and you 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 hear the conversation going between the other characters, and as you're kind of figuring it through in your mind, a chill enters your stomach and works its way through your body. As you realise the tap is spelling out, I am Lucas Mackey. Trust no one. So, as as this is, I'm comprehending what has been said, and trying to figure out if I can trust it. Is this a demon playing tricks on my mind or not? I'm fidgeting with my ring. Meanwhile, the, the conversation's carried on. So, I just need to know... Um, where is Howard Mudd or Hector Mayers or whatever you call him and where is this damn dreamstone I'm fed up with searching for I need to know where it is I need to do it in his mouth and I need to do it now where is it? I stand up and punch this Lucas Mackey that's talking in the forehead with my ring with... okay what, um, first of all give me a brawl roll okay this is where it all falls on its arse I've won every roll so far the one that matters boom gone oh come on versus 50 I guess. Oh I guess. my 
Oh my god. Okay. Oh my god, a nine. Critical success of versus, nine versus 50. Versus 20. <laughs> um, the, I mean, we'll say in inverted commas, Lucas Mackey rolls a 96. Okay, not only does do you completely take him by surprise and give him an extreme haymaker to the face. Do you want to describe your ring at this moment, Mictobe? And this is what we were talking about before so, the podcast. in the previous two weeks since um, I have picked up uh, Bartholomew from his previous episode in the FBI building and the manic episode of uh, me ex- describing what happened to us in episode zero, I commissioned uh, a local... Um, smith or jewel maker to make a silver ring that replicated the symbol um described to us in the doctor's diary for the deadlight dr webb thank you i couldn't give a second name um and i hit lucas mackey basically square in the bridge of the nose just about just above the bridge of his nose on the forehead and it's le- left an indentation of this mark on his forehead now i am because I've been taken by the FBI, I am minus Earn, but he is very much imprinted, be it with a bruise or just physical cuts with this mark. Oh no, with an extreme success, he has a bloody mark on his face with a strange, intricate pattern, um, which, I'd, for those of you that saw Dr. Webb's diary, again, looking back upon the Deadlight episode, I'm not sure how many of you actually looked through the 13 pages that were hidden within the centre of the diary, but it is a very, very strange and disturbing shape. <laughs> Lucas Mackey reels back and he begins to, begins to change. His face begins to melt away and turn black. Um, um, I don't know if you've ever seen sort of... There's a film where there's some guy, his skin melts away and like insects begin to pour out of the gaps in between. His arms drop to the floor and where they hit the ground, they turn into a strange, um, like not cockroaches, but like, you know, that's that awful Indiana Jones film, you know, the crystal skull where those strange, crazy beetles begin to attack everyone, the scarabs. You really shouldn't have done this. I wanted to do this fairly. I wanted you on my side. I really needed to get this information for the master. He says a word. I don't know how long your character is going to live, but this word will stay with you <laughs> for as long as they do. No, no, this information. Can you all lose? Can you all make a sanity yep. check right there and then? The, the word Nalanathotep seems to echo around the chamber again and again and again and again. Um, um, I need to know who passed and who failed. Everyone, everyone, pa- everyone passed. Everyone passed. Everyone passed. Okay, even with a pass, can you lose D10 sanity? Oh, and if you lose more than five sanity, can you let Permanent me know? Permanent or... No, just normal, just normal sanity. sanity. Just temporary, but five. even so, like... Okay, I lost four. More than five, I need to know. Okay, you... You watch how all of my gaining skills D10s were low. You watch this be like super bloody high. Eight. Told you. Lovest. Eight. Oh my fucking god. I, I have love lost, it. I've lost four, but that makes me lose uh, nine for the episode, which is way more than a fifth of my. It's like twenty percent of my. It, it, yeah. Right. Me too. Okay. <clears throat> so you. So both of you, can you give me a D10, please? Again, I've. I've again. lost. Eight so far this session. So, both of you can give me a detail. I got a one. I got a five. 
um, Mick Tobin, um, you collapse to the ground. The last thing you see is a sea of strange, unearthly scarabs marching towards you. Um, as you, the world turns to blackness, each one of these scarabs has a human face. <laughs> oh, that's shit. That's terrible. <laughs> just, just because I, I did that earlier, as I punched, I was starting a chant for my spell, which I, I don't have the urn, but I'm still starting a chant. Did I finish the chant? Well, we'll see. Ah, um, <laughs> Bartholomew Ormond, um, you back across the room. There are many, many things you've seen in your life, particularly in war. You consider yourself a hardy gentleman. Seeing uh, a normal, stocky, slightly odd FBI agent dissolve into scarabs with human faces is beyond your ken. Um, you drop everything you feel yourself shaking and trembling you back off across the room screaming um, all reality seeming to break around you and again the last thing you see is Mick Tobin being surrounded by scarabs Spencer how did you do on your sanity check um he passed I passed my sanity check and then he lost 8 sanity and then he rolled a 2 Spencer, um, you have the most unbelievable sphere. You need to get out of here. You you launch yourself towards the door. Um, in your panic, you are trying to push when you're meant to be pulling, and all you're doing is hammering yourself against the door. Um, your immense frame um, begins to shatter the, the small window that's there as the room begins to get dark and begins to get cold. You turn around to see Mick Tobin almost enveloped by scarabs <laughs> as a shadow appears above him. From this shadow um, appears a white light. At first it's the tiniest, tiniest speck and then it begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And <laughs> to your absolute horror you see the dead light entering the room. The strange mercury pool flows out of nothingness, absorbing the centre of the room, growing bigger and bigger. It envelops the strange glowing horde of unnatural insects and disappears with a bang. You are left in the empty room with the passed out Mick Tobin and the almost catatonic what now white haired pale shaking figure of Bartholomew Ormond and no sign of the supposed Luke and Mackey <laughs> what the fuck I'm such a hero I hate myself I love it all at once oh my god to leave you on yet another cliffhanger if you are enjoying the show then there are a few ways of supporting us you can leave us a five star review on iTunes which makes it easier for people to find us and gives the show a massive boost secondly we now have a Patreon page where you can donate to us directly to help us cover costs and in return we've set up some great rewards including getting access to episodes early and even getting the chance to hang out with us lastly if you can tell a friend about the show or talk about us on social media it would really help 
We're still a relatively small podcast and anything you can do to help us would be massively appreciated. Finally, a few listeners have asked about where Ben and Curran, who play Harold Mudd and Gerald Hatton, have been for the last few episodes. Unfortunately, they're both students in their final year at university and are currently doing exams and writing their dissertations. Luckily, they both know where the story is going from our original unpublished play of this scenario, and they've given up their blessing when it comes to their characters. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and hopefully see you next week. Take care.